0: Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone. I hope you're having a great day. I'm doing awesome. Um, I'm actually really excited to share with you something that I've been wanting to do for a long time now and I finally pulled the trigger and made it happen. But let me back up a a bit here because I think you need a little bit of history. Um, So I started Skirt Sports in 2004, like literally 14 years ago. (laughs) For maybe the first eight years, it was all in, go, 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 all the time, no breaks. I absolutely loved and embraced this period of my life and my business. It's the storied startup phase that's all-consuming. It was so fun. Um, I was often running on fumes, but there was so much to learn, and I just wanted to absorb it all, and I did. And then in 2011, specifically December 30th, 2011, I had a baby, and things changed for me. You know, I still worked all the time, and I was still passionate about skirt sports but I had more than one major priority, literally another life relying on me. So I literally couldn't work around the clock or at least I chose not to, which is actually, I think, an important differentiator. We actually choose our paths. They don't just happen to us. I could have chosen to keep working that way and found other ways to support my daughter, but I didn't. So things may happen to us, but as we... As I just mentioned, you know, we choose our paths after these events, which I think you'll understand more as you hear from today's guest, Diana McConnell. But as this big life transition hit, I realized the need for me to be able to step back and take breaks, which I hadn't needed before. I don't know why, but. I needed it now so that I could get out of the details of my business and my life enough to see the bigger picture of my business and my life and continue to mold the vision for my business and my life's future. And everyone has a different method to tap into that important bigger picture thinking. But here's what I decided to do. So let's get back to the present. (laughs) I left Boulder. I left my home. And I left my work routine for five weeks. I did this last week. So I'm one week in. Uh, Tim Wilder and I went up to Granby, Colorado. Little mountain town that's not quite cool yet, but it's getting there. It's awesome. Um, And we just simply wanted to live differently. I am taking more time for me. It's plain and simple. To reconnect with myself and my body my fitness, to reconnect with my family, to reconnect with my passion and my purpose. Um, And in the end, to give me the physical ability to separate from the details so my mind could free up to the inevitable epiphanies that come when I create the space for it. And here's my point in sharing this with you. We are constantly changing human beings. Every day, every minute, we change ever so slightly until one day we are different than before, like noticeably different in some way. The things that were important to us before no longer matter. The things that gave us anxiety no longer do. The things that made us happy no longer fuel our hearts and souls. The key to continuing to find happiness is to take these moments, these breaks in our lives to do a gut check to give ourselves the space to reconnect with who we are today, to focus on the things that align with our values today. So here we are, listening to the podcast, this awesome Run This World with Nicole DeBoom podcast, to find some special connection to our amazing guests and to spark something inside that we hadn't felt before or to look at the world in a slightly different way. And here I am the host of the podcast that hopes to help you find connection and growth, seeking my own reconnection and growth. So I want to remind you, part of the reason I do this podcast is to connect us. We are all in it together, me included. We are all chasing happiness, and we're all chasing a wonderful life. And this brings me to today's amazing guest, Diana McConnell. I call her Di. I've known her for a few years. She is actually a skirt sports ambassador with a passion for helping others find health and happiness. On the outside, you see a beautiful, strong, healthy woman who is a natural athlete with a seemingly happy career, a new marriage, and a loving relationship with her children. But as you will hear today, and you may already know if you follow her incredible blog, Nothing is exactly as it seems. Di has endured life experiences that most of us will never be able to understand or relate to. She has overcome horrible abuse and neglect and today has created a life path that has so much potential for happiness. Di, like all of us, is very much still on her journey of healing and seeking her purpose. She has not fully processed her experiences. And part of her hope is that as she does, she can help others who have been hurt and need to know that they too can survive. Today's episode is tough at times. If children are listening with you, you may want to pre-listen to this conversation. We discuss serious topics, including abuse and suicide. Um, But ultimately, Die shows us that no matter how difficult our pasts, our futures can still be beautiful. Let's bring her on.
1: Daughter, when I was sixteen, and she texted me, she's saying she's in free term labor right now. Wait, what? Yeah.
0: Wait, you did I not know that you had a daughter? I don't know. I saw this post recently that you said you had three children, and for some reason, yeah. I thought you had one children, one child. One child. <laughs> We're just warming up here. By the way, we're here today with Diana, what do you say, McConnell? McConnell. McConnell. You changed your name recently. Yes. That's a big life event. We'll have to get to that, too. Um, So what's up with this daughter? You you look like you're 20. (laughs) How old are you? 37. Oh, my God. And so you've got a daughter who's having a baby. Yes. Holy cow. I know. Wow. How did this happen? (laughs) I mean, other than the <laughs> part we know how it happens.
1: what, which, which part of what happened? <laughs> Actually, let's talk about you yeah. uh, having a baby at sixteen. Yeah, I was. I got pregnant when I was fifteen, and I was living with like a foster family at the time. So um, I hid it for most of it, and then once they found out, they put me in a maternity home. And wait,
0: hold on a minute.
1: You hid it.
0: Oh, yeah. How do you hide?
1: Like well. You know, when you're 16 and 15, you can, your body's so little. Well, mine was at that time. That was like yeah. the only time. So I uh, wore big sweaters. <laughs> wow. Big sweaters and big sweatshirts and no one knew.
0: And so you were with a foster family. Were they, yeah. um, did they care about you or was it more no. transactional foster family? It was
1: transactional. And that's why it was hi- easy to hide it because they didn't, yeah. I was kind of banned to, you know, just my room. So I came home from school and I just was in my room for the rest of the night. Wow. So it was easy.
0: Oh my gosh. So we're, uh, I don't even know where to go from here. (laughs) I kind of want to back up, but at the same time, let's, let's talk through this. So they found out you were pregnant. Mm -hmm. Was it a boyfriend or just? It was a boyfriend. Okay.
1: But you know, at 15, 16, it's, it's not what you think it is. Right. It's true um, and so they put you in what did you call it a maternity home when they existed still I don't know if they still have um, still have them around but that's how I came to central Wisconsin because I was sent to a maternity home there and, and so
0: what's the, what's a maternity home like
1: it was in an old convent so we all had our own rooms and uh, it was I think at that time three of us girls One girl already had her baby. And so she was transitioning out. Okay. And, uh, there was another girl that was pregnant along with me.
0: And so did you have the option that you would be keeping your baby or how does that work when you're in foster care?
1: I, it was a weird foster care uh, relation. I don't know what it was because technically they weren't foster parents, but they were not my parents. So they were somewhere in the middle where I was, uh, technically I had parents. That were my legal guardians. Okay. So either way, it didn't matter because I was just kind of bounced around. But at the maternity home, even before all of this, I already knew I was going to keep the baby because I had such a horrible life being bounced around. So I'm like, I'm not doing that to my child. So got it. at that point, the plan was to keep her.
0: And so when you were 15 years old, I mean, clearly you were like sexually active and with a boyfriend, were you th- thinking about birth control or did you like think about the risks of what you were doing no no just I didn't have that you didn't have someone to help
1: guide you through no I was I was yeah I was bounced around I it was not the normal childhood so I mean I wasn't dumb I knew kind of how it worked but unless you actually have the conversation and and right you know how life works
0: well yeah and also like knowing how to get birth control and feeling comfortable asking for it like can you imagine having asked your foster parents can you help me
1: get birth control i couldn't even get dinner sometimes oh my gosh (laughs) wow
0: okay so you go to this maternity home Mm -hmm. and you you're in your third trimester
1: Pretty much. Yeah. And okay. And that family, it was run by a family, the Shijics, and uh, they ended up adopting me.
0: Oh, my gosh. Your
1: first very positive, like, yes. family experience? It was. It was really strange because we have to, you have to interview with them. First, the, the guardians have to sit with my now parents, and then they interview the girl just to make sure it's okay and safe. So my guardians at that time just told them flat out, like nobody wants her. And so my guardian or my now parents said, "We'll take her." Wow. And they never met me, so it was just kind of a. Fate. Oh
0: my gosh! They just knew. Yeah. Wow, that had to have been a huge life-changing event. Yeah. So it was. I was used to it though.
1: <laughs> well. That's how my life just kind of worked.
0: It just one step to the next. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So you have this little baby, and now you have a home for you and her? Right. Okay.
1: It was a little bit tricky because I believe it was more uh, financially driven for the guardians to say, no, she's staying with us because they would lose out on the money. So there was a struggle back and forth, so I was bounced back again with the baby. Like, am I staying here? Am I staying there? Because um, they were trying to adopt me, in My the she-chicks. And my guardians were really fighting that
0: okay and your guardians were the foster care people? oh yeah okay yeah oh geez i mean this just sucks <laughs> it's what's amazing is i'm sitting across the table looking at this vibrant beautiful energetic person who you know by all practical purposes you look like you have the world in your <laughs> hand you know and and this is a big thing that I think we all need to remember is that everybody has a story. They do. And things are not always as they seem. Exactly. Well, let's go back in time. I want to come back to your girl because you got to have your phone on just in case she uh, has her baby right yes. now during the podcast, right? <laughs> um.
1: I think they gave her steroids. She's good for now.
0: <laughs> She's good for a while. Um, so tell us about like when where you grew up and, and okay. some of your you mentioned your horrible childhood. Right. I mean, I think we kind of need to learn some about what you went through in order mm-hmm. to see how you've gotten where you are today.
1: Sure. So I, I'm from Korea, Incheon, South Korea, and I lived there until I was eight. And uh, my father was an American, so he worked as a, an, an engineer on a naval ship, so I never saw him. And even when we saw each other, he spoke English and I didn't know any English. So it was interesting, um, and my mother was always gone. And it's questionable what she was doing. So it was pretty much just raising myself, and I had a brother, and I had to make sure he was okay. And then my father died when I was about five or six, and so we were put in a foster or not foster home. Um, what's the word? Orphanage. So your mom, because your mom wasn't capable. I'm not sure. I mean, looking back on it, as a mom, I. I know she did the right thing because we had no future there in korea we were um mixed race and they were they're very against that okay. especially at that time so and there was no family name to speak up and in, in that culture especially at that time it's about your family your family line and you know status we had wow. none of that so wow. um it was the best thing but that was another experience where it was it was scary so i was in charge of taking care of my brother there And we were adopted into a family, um, about six months later. And how old were you at that time? I was
0: eight. And your brother was? Seven. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how'd that experience
1: go? It was a rude awakening culture wise. Even it's, it's completely different. I still have problems with eye contact. I have to remind myself, it's rude to do this, (laughs) to look down, (laughs) to look down and not make eye contact. So
0: they were more of a traditional
1: Korean family. Uh-huh. um when i the way i grew up was it was you just you don't talk you don't make eye contact you're seen but not heard god and you'd rather not be seen because my family was just completely different it was very strict so when i came to the u.s it was more of they expected you to be americanized right away so there was a culture clash
0: so the when you were eight you were where were you ad- adopted into what
1: family uh different family in uh Racine, Wisconsin. Oh, okay. So, different family. So, it was an
0: international adoption. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah.
1: Sorry, I just assume people should know. (laughs) Right. No, I mean, I thought you were adopted by somebody in Korea. No, no. Okay. Got it. No, came to America and then had to learn the culture and the language Mm -hmm. and get used to the whole dynamic of a new family. And it was, it took a while.
0: Okay. So, were there any. You know, you have opened up about some of this in your blog, mm-hmm. um, but there was some abuse that had happened in your early childhood.
1: Yeah, that started in Korea because the rumor is that my mom was a, a prostitute. So her pimp, or what? what I was told was her pimp, would stay with us. So yeah, that started when I was about, I think, earliest memory is about three. Wow. Of the the rape and everything. I hate calling it sexual abuse because, like, no, I was raped oh my it's, gosh it's deeper than that so um the horrible stuff happened then and then it was just like a regular occurrence like some guys would just come and grope me and they it was completely okay for them or like uh they would show themselves just in the middle of this you know I'm walking down the road and they would lift their or drop their pants it was just like a normal occurrence I didn't know so I just assumed that was all that's what happened Um, and then at the orphanage, even I was chased down by some guys and nothing happened, but I fell down a flight of stairs in front of a church. I mean, Uh, (laughs) fitting, right?
0: So, you know, this is serious. Um, you know, being raped as a, basically a toddler Mm -hmm. and then thinking that that's normal because that's your life,
1: right? That's so fucked up. It is.
0: I mean, you have children, and I'm going to cry, but, like, that is my biggest fear. I've had nightmares about it.
1: Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for me, the way I talk about it, it's almost, it was a different life. Stu- different life. You I'm feel almost numb to it until I think about my daughters or I think about that little girl. And then it's like no one was there. No uh, one protected.
0: No one was there. And so. was your brother safe?
1: He was safe. And he... I always wonder how much he knew because he was, we slept on the floor. Everyone, you know, is a communal thing. So we were always alone with him. Uh, My brother and I were, and he was always next to me. And it's like, did you know anything? Not that he could really do anything. I'm sure he was as frightened as I was. Yeah, absolutely. And your mom, did she know? I told her in a letter when I was, I was a teenager, but she didn't, she said, oh, she, she was shocked. She didn't know what happened. Wow. So you're still in contact with your birth mother. I was, but then she passed away.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, and was that a long time ago?
1: Um, probably about 12 years ago, she passed away.
0: And so you're, you know, you're feeling alone in the world at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yet you're not because you have a baby. <laughs> you have a little girl. So yeah. let's, let's you come to the
1: US, you're adopted by a family in Wisconsin. Was that a healthy relationship? It was not, because then he had started adopt, um, abusing me. He would come at night and try to sneak touches, or um, there was a lot of blackmailings telling me I'm going back to Korea if I don't do certain things. Or he would try to videotape me changing or showering. And so I okay. always slept with like layers of clothes on. I would never change my clothes, I got into trouble when my uh, birth or adoptive mother would see my laundry and there's nothing in there. She's like, you have to change your underwear. I'm like, "Mm, no. I'll just, I just would throw clean ones in there because I don't want to change my clothes. Um, It was a very emotionally abusive place to stay too.
0: And so that's when you were eight years old. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are very formative years. (laughs) You know, most people probably don't have very clear memories earlier than maybe five or six, right? right? And here you are moving into the years well beyond that um, and having to go through this. Mm-hmm.
1: How did you cope? Uh, you know, I was listening to one of the podcasts, one of your podcasts, and I can't remember her name. She was the one that was beaten um, during a robbery. Uh-huh. Becky, Becky Piper. I, no, maybe it was her. I'm not sure if it was her or Maria, but um, I cope by not coping. Mm. It was just um, you're numb to it, so uh, you don't face the issue. You just block it out, and then you just go forward because what else are you going to do? Well, and, and has that worked for you through your it, life? It has, and it, but I have to reverse it. You have to cope. You have to at some point. At some point.
0: So when did the... All right. Well, let's keep going in the in, in your
1: trajectory a bit here. So did, were you able to get out of that family environment? I was because he was caught by another family member. He did it too. So he shot himself while we were in the house. So, oh my God. It was, <laughs> that wasn't another adventure. I was talking to my adopted mother and we heard a gunshot. It's a ranch style house. So we were by the garage. She went to check on it on the other side of the house and She's screaming, I shouldn't have said his name, he's dead. (laughs) What did you do? I can't believe you did that, and screaming this. And then as soon as she starts screaming, my brother's coming through the garage and walk into this blood-curling scream. So I had to bring him downstairs, and we could hear the ambulance and people walking back and forth. And then it just, from then on, it unraveled. Um, I did get sent to a therapist, and what he said um, eventually after I was in my late teens was, um, I was sent away from that family because, and everything was blamed on me um, and my behavior because I was a, a living reminder of what her husband was, which was a monster. So she would find any excuse to pretty much yell at me and just tell me, you need to call your mom and her you're coming back. And that's what I had to do. I had to call my birth mom and say, I'm coming back home.
0: Did you go back home? I had to go back, Yeah did your
1: brother stay there Mm -hmm. oh
0: my gosh
1: but again it was it was such a demented situation that she blamed it on me saying i'm causing all this trouble saying i'm going back to korea it's like i was in eighth grade how do i get the tickets to korea who's driving me back to the airport um but that caused a big rift between my brother and me
0: oh wow okay so you ended up going back to Korea. Mm-hmm. How long were you there?
1: Just for a few months, and I was given the choice to stay or to come back. But the thing is, this is after I sent my mom that letter saying what happened. So we go out for lunch one day, and guess who's there waiting? It's the guy, and I couldn't believe. I kept looking at her, but I lost most of my Korean, she couldn't really speak English. So there was a, a like I couldn't ask her like, what were you thinking? how old were you then um 15 okay Wait, 13 okay i'm 15. Yeah. i mean i i would have had a panic attack i it was kind of like i couldn't believe it was happening and he kept saying why are you not smiling why which is <laughs> i hate that anyway when a man tells me to smile but it was like you look angry and like you know what happened my mom knows what happened you both act like this should be a happy reunion so it was, it was frightening and it was even worse because that night he stayed over and I just stayed up the entire night just just frightened, but he didn't do anything to me, but it was just... Oh my God, That's when I was, I was like, I'm going to go back home. I don't know. I'm not staying in Korea. So you turned around and came back to the States? I did. And at the airport, I found out I was going to a different family. Okay. So then
0: were you like, kind of like in the system, I guess? That's
1: where it was, I was in limbo because I had those adoptive parents, but I was not living with them. I was living with those guardians who were foster families. Like they were in the system to be taking kids in. Right. So I don't, I'm not sure how that worked. Okay.
0: Um, but by the time you were 15 you had finally found a secure place that was healthy right healthy as it could be healthy as it could be yeah and here you are a 16 year old now with a new baby Mm
1: -hmm.
0: with this huge backpack of baggage that no one should ever have to have and Mm -hmm. you're in high school yes
1: (laughs) i mean could you even relate to the other kids no and I never could anyway. I never seemed to fit in. And it started in Korea because, you know, um, I was an outcast because of my race. And then coming to the U.S., I couldn't speak English very well, so uh, I didn't really fit in, which is fine. I never. I don't like clicks anyway. Pause. Pause.
0: I think you parked
1: Oh, hilarious. Um,
0: we actually just paused for a minute. You may all not know, but Die parked in front of our neighbors in car. <laughs> And it turns out he's sort of like a shut-in. I've never really seen him, and I tried to see him, but he sort of had his head down and drove away really fast. So this is good because we need a little break because this is uh, this is big stuff, you yes. know. I mean, this is so. I think we were. Where were we? <laughs> we, were good we were talking about. You know what? I'm going to pause for real here. We're going to go. Okay, so. You have this new baby, and it's really hard to relate to any of the other kids because they're yes. clearly not going through the same experience. No. <laughs> um, were you like an active mom? I mean, how does that work when you have a, yep. an infant in high school?
1: It was, I made it work. Um, my, it was education first. You know, I didn't, I couldn't relate to the other kids, nor did I care because it seemed like, you know, trivial things compared to, you know, life, real life for me. Um, what I do remember is because I was still nursing her that my lunch hour was spent in the bathroom stall pumping or expressing milk and that's how I spent my free time anytime to if I could just get milk out. Oh my god. <laughs> so gosh. While girls are primping off and you hear them talking I'm, I'm laughing because I'm trying to stick a sandwich between my face you know my my mouth while I'm expressing milk and um, I luckily there was a teacher that was understanding and let me Store my milk in her fridge. So it's, wow. you know, you make it work. Were you the only kid in your high school who was no? Going through- that was the weirdest thing. I went to a high school where they had like a class for girls who are expecting or had babies. Wow. So That's it was kind of progressive. It was from a this small town. In Racine? No, Wisconsin Rapids. Oh, okay. It's a very small town, but it was very nice to have. I think every school should have something like that. Just a. Uh, a safe area
0: yeah I agree and they may they may now who knows um, okay so you graduate high school right hmm and um, you're
1: still uh, uh, using the not coping coping mechanism right and you know <laughs> I after six months with that family I was getting restless and I was almost I was ready because I'm used to being just bumped around that it was kind of like, okay, so when are, what's gonna happen next? What's gonna happen? Because nobody ever really keeps me. So um, I remember that happening and actually saying something to my mom years later, saying I was waiting for someone to just be like, well, I changed my mind now. You can go somewhere else.
0: Wow, so this uh, abandonment yes. issue, I, I, mm-hmm. have you ever gotten
1: over it? No, I don't trust anyone. I don't trust anyone to stick with their plans or um I always you know they say prepare hope for the best but prepare for the worst something like that that's pretty much my motto I hope it works out but you know what I'm prepared for you to not
0: and so how do you with children and one child who's older now how do you help them have a positive outlook when
1: it's been so hard for you it's It was easier when they were younger because I kind of lived through them. You know, I gave them things they couldn't, they didn't have. And as a single mom, I have, um, they're three years apart as a single mom. All I, my main focus was protect them at all costs. So it meant, um, you know, like no sleepovers, no, unless it was at my house. Uh, no bus rides i take you to and from and i would get accused of being a helicopter mom but it's like well i wish i had one so i'm going to be one and um so you were sort of overprotective overprotective in a way but i was such i always say like the korean mom because it's kind of like i gave you instructions you're gonna get hurt if you get hurt then you got hurt i'm not gonna sit here and like ask what happened and baby you about it if you got seriously hurt i would you know do something but Um, I made sure they were safe. That was the number one thing, but I also expected, you know, a lot out of them.
0: Well, so like what astounds me is that you did not have a role model to help you learn this philosophy at Mm -hmm. 16 years old. I mean, how, how did you form this, have enough strength
1: to even be able to approach your children this way? Well, at that age, when I had uh, my firstborn, I almost went overboard because I wanted to be the perfect mom. So I, you know, I even joined La Leche League meetings. Oh, yeah, yeah. I even have an article in there because I was so pro-nursing. And I nursed her for several years. I'm like, that's like the least I could do to be a proactive mom. And then I, um, I got burnt out because I didn't know what to do and everything was just kind of... I, would, I don't want to say force because I love my I love my baby, um, but my adoptive mom could see me unraveling at a certain point by the time I graduated high school and said, "You have to make a decision. Are you going to keep on this path or are you going to you know let her be with the family um, And at that point, my oldest adoptive sister had said something about taking her in, so she would I finally made the decision that yes um. You can take Gloria. Oh my gosh. So, but you knew her. You knew. I did, but I
0: felt like a failure. Oh my gosh. Okay. And you're 18 years
1: old when this is happening? Um, just was graduating high school? She was just turning three. Yeah. And we just finished nursing, and it was, it was all coming too much, you know, yeah. too much. So, um, she took her in, and um, I'm blessed that she was within the family so we never lost contact really but we went through a long time where I had to stay away because it was such a bad, you know hard transition for her and that's, um, oh. that's the hardest because I know what she went through
0: yeah and uh, here you are you're still a young very young woman mm-hmm. and already feeling like you have failed in the one thing oh. that you wanted to be the best in the world at right. wow how did you get through that
1: I didn't. I still, I mean, I still, it's one of those feelings where I can't, I'm I'm not sure I could get myself out of. So that's, I probably should talk to a therapist about it, but I'm so afraid to even go there because it's such a dark area for me.
0: You are still on your journey. I am. Yeah, of cracking open and getting mm-hmm. to accept all the things that you've done or have happened to you. Right. And that is... It's hard. And, you know, living in that middle place, you have to embrace that, the middle sometimes.
1: Right. And I feel like you almost have to be ready to take on something, something deep like that. It's not an easy topic. Um, Anyone who's placed a baby for adoption or lost a baby, it's, it's a lot harder than you know, you had a bad day or two and you want to talk to a therapist. This is, we're getting to the real thick of it. Yeah. So, and I'm not prepared right now in my life to yeah, take myself through that. Well, let's, so you
0: had another child shortly after that. Though. Were you pregnant around mm-hmm. this time?
1: I had her actually when I was 23. Okay. So it was a little bit... Okay. I was a little bit older. hmm And I say she saved me because after I placed my baby for adoption, no, she wasn't a baby anymore, but... um I just went through this bad rabbit hole of drugs and alcohol and doing. I mean, I I worked and I um, survived and I took care of myself, but it was um, barely just by thread. You know, I worked at a bar, so I drank, I partied in between my shifts, and um, when she came along, it like it all just stopped. And I think she's. I say she saved my life because you
0: were using drugs and alcohol and partying as an escape it was
1: i didn't have to deal with the reality how i mean how bad did it get i remember thinking that i would always be in the state where i'm never sober wow so and you were starting to want that yeah i must have because it was kind of like yep there's no i mean as soon as i found i was pregnant it all ended and changed my life around um you know, got back to school and got the full-time job and became an upstanding citizen finally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh gosh. And you know, here's the thing though. If you were really a hundred percent in the gray zone of not accepting, we wouldn't even be talking about this. I oh, mean, I you have that. hit a point where you're willing to be open enough. And I can tell you that it helps other people mm-hmm. as much as it's shitty to talk about it does help other people because other people are there or they're on one edge or Mm -hmm. the other of this process yes of the wanting it to all go away and numb it and Mm -hmm. um when did running come into your life not until i was In my thirties. Oh, really? Okay. Really late. So, were you an athlete? Like I'm thinking about me at 16, and Mm -hmm. I was doing two a day swim practices, and had boyfriends, and was party exploring that you know fun party side of life, and working hard in school, and I had time for nothing Nothing else, else. but not a child for sure. (laughs) Um, And the changes that a child makes to your body. I mean, you know, this is a very different experience than anyone I know. Mm-hmm. And so
1: you weren't an athlete then growing up? I was when I was younger. Okay. I was uh, I was on a swim team and I played basketball. I was in pretty much everything because I wanted to get my hands on everything. Mm-hmm. So I was in all sports, um, I played music, I was in band, I was in choir. And then um, after I got sent to Korea and came back that's when it all just kind of unraveled. When I went to live with my guardians in in Madison. I wasn't cheerleading for a little bit, but my guardians wouldn't be good about taking me to practice or games. So I got kicked out. And then at that point, it was like I'm just not doing anything. Right. And
0: there's and no then time. I never picked it up. Yeah. And so you never picked it up. So you go and and in the meantime, you have a child when you're 23, and then mm-hmm. you had your third child at what age? I think it was 27 or 20 20-
1: okay there were three years apart so okay six yeah
0: mm-hmm. and um
1: and by then you had gone to
0: college
1: i started to but i could not figure out what i wanted to do with my my life so like i'm just spending money on classes and i keep changing majors so. <laughs> right oh gosh and it's so hard many
0: to do. so many of us can relate to yes. that too i mean have you since found your passion in life i did it doesn't require college but being what a personal trainer amazing yeah. and so what is it about that that i mean that is First of all, so different than what your 16 year old self probably would have seen yourself doing. Mm -hmm. So did you um, enter into your own athletic journey before
1: this passion began? No, no. So I've uh, written about my journey into running where I hated running so much and I hated people talking about running that I wanted to prove to them that running sucks. And yeah, you can run a 5K and it's not going to change your life. So I was going to show them that work that's how it works <laughs> and then I crossed the finish line and I'm like well I'm gonna run a marathon because I was just in Boston the week before right after the bombing and I'm like it all clicked I get it you know that finish line, it was it was a small 6k I didn't do anything crazy and I didn't win any awards that day but I, I understood like this feeling of accomplishment and something shifted in that within that race.
0: So let's talk a little bit about humility too, because not that you need to be humbled in any way, but like you had some kind of attitude about like, oh, come on, you runners, thinking right. that like your thing can change lives. I was one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> so when you cross the line and you are like, oh my God, I'm doing this again. Yeah. What was it about it? Was Did you feel this like
1: high? Was it a physical it high or
0: a mental high?
1: Or? It was all of the above. I mean, I was sore but as you're coming up to the finish line there are people cheering on for you and i was there pretty much alone um and it was just this community of people just supporting you and i never had that Uh and and i was thinking about all the steps it took to get me to that point um getting myself out for a run when i didn't feel comfortable and um, i was still smoking at the time but trying to quit because of it and it was just all of it all came together thinking, I could do a marathon, not knowing what a marathon distance was. I'm just, I'm going to do it. Wow. So you had cleaned up your life in so many ways,
0: despite all odds. The last real uh, crutch was mm-hmm. smoking cigarettes? It was. Yeah. And mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about that, because that seems like you kind of paused and took a nice breath there, and you're like, yeah. <laughs> Is that one
1: you, you actually miss? You know, No. Because, well, sometimes I think about it, and like that sometimes, or when I'm watching TV and they keep smoking, I'm like, yeah, I remember that. And then when I think about it and the smell of it, it makes me sick. Because what I did was when nothing else worked, because I would work on it all the time, and it took like five months of just pure effort every day. Um, I would slip like every 30 days and start over. I would smoke my cigarette, but I said, now you have to go running because this is your time to go running, you took a sick break. So then when I would start running, obviously I'm not feeling well because I just took in all that nic- nicotine. So I was nauseous, my head was pounding and I wanted to throw up and I would tell my brain, this is smoking, pain, you know, smoking equals pain and nausea. So after about three days of that, I was not smoking anymore. So you weaned yourself? You didn't get any yeah. help?
0: This was like, this is a good technique. You should be helping yes. people.
1: I always say, like, go for a run afterwards and see how you feel. And then associate that feeling of death with smoking. And that's exactly what <laughs> you'll stop. Because the, now the smell of cigarette smoke makes me back, takes me back. And it just makes me sick. Wow,
0: because it almost seems like what, um, you know, hypnotherapists do. (laughs) Yeah. But you did it on your own. Yes. Do you know how much power you have within yourself? (laughs) I mean, I'm not kidding, Di. Like, all of the shit that's happened to you in your life has created something more powerful than most people have because you've survived it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, (laughs) You know, maybe we can talk a little bit about you, you actually are really open about yes. your journey with depression too and mm-hmm. how that ties into you know, how you can move your life forward. Right. It, when, did, when did you notice
1: that you started to have symptoms of depression? I think I always knew it, especially when I was trying to kill myself. I mean, you can't not acknowledge that. But as I've gotten older, I've, I'm learning what my triggers are it's um, just because I know I have it and how I can deal with it doesn't mean it makes it better. Um, but it's, it's like a disease that you, no one can see, but you have to manage it somehow. Well, and when you were attempting suicide, mm-hmm. was how old were
0: you when that was going on? I was 13. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah.
1: And only once? Well, no. I mean, I tried for like a full week of active suicide attempts, or more than a week, because there were a few times where it got fuzzy with the, some pills I found, where I ended up in the hospital, or, yeah, I think I ended up in the hospital a few times, but it was actively, okay, so that didn't work, Now I'm going to try this today, and then I'm going to try this today, so I remember sitting at my table and, like, writing out my own little will, like, when I die, I want this to go to my friends here, and, and then waking up, i like, I woke up again. I'm going to have to do this all over. It was just trying wow. to die every day. That's
0: how. What was the trigger that got you to the point where you decided you were
1: going to take action? Um, it was after my adopted dad had killed himself and went through that funeral where I was told I have to act like I was sad and that no one can know what happened. And after all of that, and I was just getting verbally abused and yelled at for, I don't know what, I'm like, I'm done. I'm tired. Like that I thought when he died, my life would be better. And it didn't. It just got worse because like my therapist said, I was a reminder. Right. So I'm like, I'm just it's not gonna get any better, so I'm just gonna do something. So I went to look for the gun that he killed himself with. I couldn't find it. That meant going into the room where he killed himself. But um, yeah, I did a lot of stuff and none of it worked. And and that's a sign now. It is. And that's what I thought last when it happened I'm like it's not working all of this stuff if I if anyone were sitting in their car with the car running garage door or all the, you know there's no air coming in or out besides the, the fumes anyone would be dead I sat in the car for six hours nothing happened wow and I think that was when it's like you know what I'm trying to electrocute myself anyone would have died um pills I mean I did everything I could and then it's like, it's not working. There's gotta be a reason for this. And I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'll just quit. <laughs> so what is the reason?
0: Why are you still here? What are you meant to be doing?
1: I'm not sure. I'm still figuring it all out, but I knew even then I have to be a voice somehow. Um, Cause I went through I went through so many different things and I don't like to play the game of I went through the worst thing. I went through worse than you. Um. But I feel like I could help so many people in on so many levels. Abandonment. You've been bounced around. I've been there. You've been abused. I've been there. Um, you've given up your pla you know, placed your uh, baby up for you know, adoption. I I've been there too. So I feel like I have a lot of platforms. Um, and people need to hear that it's okay. They do. It's okay to feel what you're feeling, even if it's depression or that feeling of you're never going to get yourself out. Um, but it's still it's evolving that's why I'm excited that people are kind of finally latching on Um, but it takes I get it it's it's scary to talk and when I write my blogs like is it too much I don't want to seem like poor me but it's it's just a story and I hope somebody hears it and and I get a lot of messages saying
0: And we, we, we will, there's a link to your blog in the show notes, but tell
1: everybody right now, how can they find you? That's a good question. (laughs) I was not prepared for this question. (laughs) It's like the easiest question. Yeah. Usually if you just go on my Instagram at die underscore ultra runner, um, you'll find a link to my, my blog. Yep. On my bio. It's yeah. the easiest way.
0: And you cover such a diverse range of topics that when you finally sort of went went public mm-hmm. with some of the deep, dark stuff, I think it, it really did open up
1: more platforms. It did. For and people to connect. The funny thing is I started that blog so I could talk about these things. and But it took, I think, over a year for me to actually... Like, all right, I have to do what I was going to do. Um, I didn't want people feeling sorry for me or thinking I wanted attention. And but and it's uncomfortable. I didn't know who would read it and I didn't want certain people reading it because I was still ashamed, even though I didn't do anything wrong. So I know. And that's the thing
0: you Mm -hmm. need to remind yourself. Let's move to a very positive place. Mm-hmm. because that's where I feel you are even as you continue to work through the dark times and the depression hits from time to time. But I've seen many positive things happen to you recently. Okay. I mean, your running life is huge. Uh, you got married. I did. And there's a really cool photo of you in your wedding dress <laughs> in some skirt sports capris underneath. Yes. I love it. Um, your daughter and you mm-hmm. must have a great relationship. Um, well maybe not. Not really. <laughs> but you're you're involved to it. yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's that's positive. You still have mm-hmm. her in your life.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, you mentioned that your passion now is personal training.
1: Mm-hmm. What drew you to that and what I'm continues sure. to Well, draw? fitness is my life now. I mean, it keeps me out of depression. Well, it doesn't keep the depression away, but it keeps it at bay. And I've noticed that when I'm doing really hard races, especially with ultras, um, it was doing Half Iron Man Chattanooga, where I pretended there was a girl that was struggling next to me, and I'm talking her through this, and I'm like, this first of all, <laughs> this is insane." But you know, I was tired, <laughs> and I'm, I'm climbing mountains in uh, Georgia, and i'm like i should I should do this, talk to somebody, talk somebody into you know wa- working through them um." you can do it kind of motivational I love
0: that tactic because it's actually you you know you were talking yourself
1: I know but like I realized I'm like this is where I'm I've crossed the line I think
0: (laughs) (laughs) but it takes the the pressure off because it feels weird to talk to yourself but it doesn't feel as weird to talk to somebody else
1: exactly and I realized as I was talking to my imaginary friend um, no one's gonna want to like race next to me now but uh, I was going faster and I was less tired Um, but that's when it's like, oh, this is like, what if I did that for a job, you know, kind of motivating. And at that point I was also working as, um, for a company with weight loss and my job was to encourage them and help them out. But I'm like, I wish we were more fitness, you know, I, 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 we wish we had more fitness aspect to this program because yes, eating well is great, but you should also move. Right. And, um, it's like, well, it's a no-brainer. I spend my days in the gym or out on the trail. So I think I want to do this and get paid to be here. Right. Absolutely. And um, I did see a post
0: recently on the Real and Move Challenge where you were like, my body, you fought against your body for much of your life, right? Mm-hmm. And there's this. I don't know, stigma in your own head about showing your body, and yet you are in a race where you were like, I'm freaking hot, and I just (laughs) want to take my shirt off and wear my bra. And in your head, you're like, I can't do that. But finally, what made you, what gave you permission
1: to finally just do it? I I don't know. It was so hot. And I was (laughs) mad. (laughs) I was mad because I saw a guy pass me. I'm like, wait a minute. He doesn't have a six-pack. And I'm not judging because I don't care. Like, he feels, he looks comfortable. Like, he has no, like, he's not covering his stomach or anything. I'm like, I can't believe I'm upset about my stretch marks. Or maybe I have rolls. I don't care. Like, why should I be ashamed? I've actually had kids, and I've, you know, given life. I have an excuse. That's true. <laughs> I have the best excuse. You do. And so I guess going into
0: maybe a little bit of body talk, mm-hmm. you know, has, has, like all your experiences in your life did they kind of culminate in you having
1: some less than positive feelings for your I'm body sure. yes it's always been that way uh, and um, running is as when i started running i didn't want people seeing me so i would wear baggy clothes and i would try to do it um, in a trail where no one could see me which is dangerous don't do that <laughs> bc that's true. that's true <laughs> i was not prepared but i didn't want people to see me and um as I started running and gaining confidence, inner confidence, um, then it's kind of like, well, it is what it is. Some days are better than others. I, some days it's like, you know what? Screw it. I got rolls today. You're going to see them all. <laughs> I mean, some days you wake up and you're like, wow,
0: my, my stomach's flat. And yeah. then like four hours later, you're like, what just happened? Right. What did I eat? I know. What did I think about? <laughs> but, but taking the emotion away from that mm-hmm. is just what it is. Exactly. That's the point. It
1: is. Wow. And, you know, working in a gym, it's not that easy because you think you need to have this persona of I'm perfect, my body's perfect and um, being a trainer, you want to make sure you look great. But I think I put that on myself more than anything.
0: Well, I think I think there are various professions, like uh, people who are hair stylists. That's true. Hair artists. I mean, mm-hmm. if they have pretty bad hair, that's true. You might you not <laughs> want to get have them cut your hair, right? You know. So I totally yeah. understand that. But in today's world, it's all about and moving so quickly towards positive body mm-hmm. acceptance.
1: Yes. Yeah, and that's a really great field to be in. It is. Yeah. And I tell my clients, you know, you may not see the results, but I can tell you from last week to this week, look what you can do. You couldn't do this two weeks ago. Look what your body can do, you know, focus on their strength and how you feel. Do you feel healthy? Do you feel strong? Love it.
0: So let's do let's wrap with a a few things here. Mm -hmm. pretend there is a young girl eight years old who has been raped abused whatever and is in a bad place what would you tell her to help her survive
1: i would tell her to tell as many people it's okay because um, i was told repeatedly i was you know i was the best at keeping secrets but nothing it will be okay just tell as many people, talk to your teacher. Awesome. Talk to whoever will listen to you and talk often. That's how you're going to get out of it.
0: Wow, okay. Let's pretend there is, because this is your pretend imaginary friend. Let's pretend there is a 15-year-old girl in high school, and she's pregnant, and she doesn't have a solid home foundation. What are you going to tell her? Same
1: thing. Talk to someone and I know, I understand you don't feel safe with anyone. I've, I've been there. But um, just do it. Take the leap of faith and tell a teacher or a grown-up that you feel comfortable. Or go to a hospital and talk to a nurse. Because um, a baby needs care. And just walk in and do it. Find, yes. Figure it out. Figure it out. And just tell them you don't feel safe if that's the case. And I didn't, I, I didn't think of that. I just felt I, I was going to get into trouble.
0: Those are strong words. I don't feel safe. Right. That's the key. Mm-hmm. Um, let's pretend there's a 13-year-old girl who feels like her life is no longer worth living.
1: What do you tell her? I know I don't know. Because I look back, and it's like, I don't think anything could have helped. Wow. But, and it's hard to reach out because you think people are not going to take you seriously or you're whining. I always think... Um, even with my girlfriends now, like after they find out I was in a deep spot, like you should have told us. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Tell you that I'm depressed? Yes, go tell somebody. Go tell somebody. Um and just think it through. It's so sad. You know, when I watched Thirteen Reasons Why it was just falling. And I purposely haven't watched
0: that show. Yeah. It's it's gonna be it's <sighs> all right, let's keep moving on. <laughs> um Pretend there is a 21-year-old young mother who is feeling a bit lost and turning Mm -hmm. to the dark side a little bit. What do you tell
1: her? Gosh, I don't know. I wasn't in that place, though. I wasn't in a dark spot when I was a mom. When you were doing the party scene at the bar? I was not a mom. Ah. No, my daughter took me out of there once I got pregnant. Yes. It's like, well, that ended. Yes, and I was ready. But if you're in that dark spot where you're partying and you're trying to numb the pain away, oh gosh, I would say you know what? Just I don't know, because I needed something drastic like a pregnancy to pull me out. I wish I had a good advice.
0: Yeah. Hey, those sometimes you don't have good advice, and you didn't know you were going to be a therapist today.
1: No, but that's what I want it to be. <laughs> it's well, not working very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're
0: a, you're, you're a personal trainer, which you know, does, does mean that sometimes true. you probably do therapy with your clients. I do. Clients.
1: You know, when you're, when you're in that dark spot and you're doing drugs or alcohol, um, it's time to get rid of that with those friends. Because if you think about it, who care the people who care about you won't let you go down that path. Mm. So they don't care about you. They don't care about how you're feeling or your health. They're just in it for the next hit or drink. So find someone. Yeah, get out of that box or that hole. And it's hard, because yeah. that's your safe area in your yeah. mind. But it's not. New connections. Yes.
0: Um, let's pretend you are think that running will not hold the answer. <laughs> what would you tell someone who's like, I don't
1: want to do it. Everyone's trying to talk me into running. Yeah, I still get that. Um, Give it a try. And when I say go for a run, doesn't mean actually start running. It's hard. Go for a walk and see how that feels. And then if that feels okay, add a little sprint here or jog here and there. Um, I think you get addicted to the feeling of, like, the clear-headedness afterwards. And you start thinking things through. I use running as my therapy to kind of, like, flip people off in my mind. (laughs) You know, coming across About to head to the finish line, I was flipping people off in my mind, all those people who thought I was not going to make it. Or to the guardian that said, nobody wanted me. It's kind of like a big F you. So (laughs) use that. If you're having a bad day, go for a walk. Use it. And then walk a 5k and then you'll, you'll know something changes.
0: You'll know. Look at now you're preaching it. <laughs> All right, well, we have come down to the wire here, so we're going to end it on the last question I ask everybody on the show, which is if you could leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one mm-hmm. little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, mm-hmm. what would it be?
1: My, I would be to share your story. You may not think it's important, but I guarantee you someone else will relate, and they need to hear it, and they probably need to hear it more than once. I've had so many people that reached out to me after my posts on abuse and depression that I would have never assumed. Again, don't assume either. (laughs) And um, I get so many stories that are just heart-wrenching, and they need to know that it's okay to feel that way. Yeah, let
0: yourself feel your feelings. Well, this has been a little bit heavy, deep, Mm -hmm. big, and at the end of the day, there's so much hope. And mm-hmm. that's what i see in you so thank you for coming on sure, thanks for having me and good luck at the 13er i will you're gonna rock it's it. gonna be fun <laughs> all right everyone that was a deep episode very tough in many ways uh, my biggest fear is that my daughter will be hurt in the ways that di was hurt as a little girl Um, I personally just felt uncomfortable and struggled when Di said that she still copes by not coping. But she also recognizes that and that someday she has to cope. But you have to do what you have to do to survive. Um, But I also understand this because Di didn't have anyone in her life who had her back She was all alone through everything, but now she's not. She's coming out the other side, and it's like watching a beautiful butterfly emerge really slowly. As she says, the most important thing you can do is share your story. You may not know the people you can help. Well, thanks, Di. I think you've helped a lot of people today. Thank you for being so open. That's it for today, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and get ready to tune in soon to my next mile repeat mini pod. Um, I'm experimenting with that new format, 8 to 20 minutes, as long as it takes for you to walk or run a mile. Um, And so far, so good. Uh, we'll, We'll see how they keep going, and if I keep them rolling, I plan to post those a couple days after the long form episodes. All right, then you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout and I'll see you next week.